0: I wanna put a disclaimer here that I in no way fault or hate Johnny Sims, the writer of the Magnus Archives podcast, nor do I fault or hate Alexander J. Newell, even though he portrays Martin for like five seasons now and let me try that again. <laughs> Shark King. Hello, welcome to Jonathan Sims Must Die, a teammate made a podcast about how and why. I'm Alexander, I use he, him pronouns, and by God, do I fucking hate that little man.
1: Hey, I'm Noah. It rhymes with Noah. It also rhymes with Noah. I use he, him pronouns, and I love and would die for Jonathan Sims. And no, I'm not being held at gunpoint to say that.
2: I'm Cherise, resident Melanie Kinney, um, and my pronouns are they, them. Um, and I am going to help present the thousand and five reasons why Jonathan Sims needs to die.
0: Um, I want to be clear that I in no way hate the actual real-life person Johnny Sims, because I am a normal person. Um, I... That's it. That's the end of my disclaimer. So, Noah. That's,
1: that is, yes, my name. I want to be stated here, this is my first time ever listening to the Magnus Act, Magnus Archives. What was that guy's name
0: with the bones? Good old Matt the Bone Remover. Yep, yeah, that's him.
1: Everything I know about the Magnus Archives is uh, what I've just listened to right now, um, and what I've picked up via Tumblr memes, and also just generally uh, existing in a space where some people around me like this.
0: What is your takeaway on this episode?
1: Um... First of all, this is this is like in a in a completely like non specific to the actual content itself, but just to the to the making of it. I thought it was really interesting, especially like Johnny's Johnny's ability to go from like this researcher to the moment he begins reading, it automatically takes on a new life. It's a, it's like storytelling, and I thought that was really interesting.
0: What did you think about this? Um does your opinion on this like statement get like what is your um Well, first mistake was being a smoker. That's
1: fair. Second mistake was walking home alone. Like, I'm sorry, but you don't do that. I don't know where the fuck you come from. Well, he's a man. Okay, fine. As a man, you just, okay. Also, I I appreciate him for being nice enough to like, acknowledge the person who asked. Because like, the, the person was like, can I have a cigarette or whatever? And then the music got all spooky or something. And I appreciate him for just like saying, I mean, sure I guess. Because that's like, okay, good. You're not a terrible person.
0: How would you rate this statement giver's brain cells?
1: (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I think it fluctuates just over the course of the story. Like, I think the person had, like, maybe two brain cells before he got drunk. And then once he got drunk, he lost them both. But there's something incredibly sobering about nearly dying by falling down a hill. And I think that gave him back half a
0: brain cell, which was enough for him to realize that this was fucking weird. I do like the fact that this man realized something was fucked up.
2: No, I thought it was really interesting actually how, um, he and this girl apparently did the same thing, but for some reason, like, the, uh, whatever hand was behind it controlling the, uh, the anglerfish, um, yanked it back into the alley as opposed to the girl who actually got a photo, and I'm wondering why that in particular
0: was. Misogyny count. <laughs> <laughs> <Kill. laughs> But it is interesting that, um, well, it's targeting smokers, I think. Or is that like, that's like, is it targeting smokers specifically? I I think
2: it's less about targeting the smokers necessarily as it is providing a pretext for somebody to stop and come closer. Because like to be completely like to validate Noah's point from earlier. And I literally have it on my page here, like listed out as he walked home alone in the dark by himself at night
0: alone at night. (laughs) Let me see if I have any note similar to that. Um, let me see. I don't. I just have comments about how there is no such thing as a good beer. Uh stupid idiot gets fucking wrecked by completely still pavement. No, I literally, I didn't conceptualize the idea of walking home alone as, like, a scary or, like, bad thing to do.
2: Oh, no. I would never. Everything around here is, like, 30 minutes away, so sometimes you just have to because you have to, but, like, at night I've literally got my mace in my hand and I'm ready to, like, book if I even
1: think somebody's following me and this guy is just, like, strolling up a hill. Although, check the mail, like, in my neighborhood, which is a gated community, and I'll have the ma- mail keys in my in my hand like like little knuckles sticking out just in case
0: i live in the middle of nowhere and i live in the middle of the woods and for a time period of several months i don't have i didn't have wi-fi at my house so i had to walk to the end of my road and i think it's like a half mile a mile to the end of my road so i could get service there um at like 2 a.m So to be fair, my perspective is, is I was like, no, there's definitely like a little like Victorian child era ghost following me, just waiting for me to like look back and then it's going to get me. But I just bring my puppet with me. Oh, I see. (laughs) I would bring my puppet with me, little cow. And I would put him on my back. And that way, if Slenderman tried to get me... You have to go through Cal. <laughs> my understanding of it was, Cal, my puppet, is possessed. And Slenderman would look at me and be like, he would see Cal and he would go, oh, fuck. I'm not, I'm not fucking with that. Have a good day. So it never occurred to me that walking home alone was like a dangerous thing to do. Sharice, how many rakes did you count in this episode? <laughs> I'm actually editing this post recording because as I was going through I realized that we never actually explained what rakes were. To clarify, a rake is any time that John does something in the series that comes back to haunt him later or where he fucks up. AKA it's like he steps on a metaphorical rake and it hits him in the face and he goes who put that there? AKA the consequences of my actions? Who would've thought? basically, basically. I have to go quick because Teresa's part is coming up and I don't know how to move the entire thing to the right um I'm sorry I never promised that this would be very nice to Jonathan Sims but Noah is here even though I've handicapped him but like the title hey, of let the me podcast, flip
2: back because I have three different sections of notes here I have he works in London don't know if this like verges into meta territory but I actually feel it's kind of interesting how like at the very beginning of the episode he makes like a, a distinction between himself as an academic and other researchers in the institute who are academics um because like he throws that like little mini temper tantrum about like, well, I mean, they are all focused on the the very, you know, academic portions of researching the esoteric and supernatural as opposed to like categorizing or listening to the actual statements and trying to get to the bottom of them. Like, sir, first of all, that's not what your job is. And second of all, how do you call yourself an academic researcher and then uh, get upset that your fellow academic researchers tend to focus on academic aspects of inquiry as opposed to parsing statements and trying to figure out if they actually happened so he sets himself up kind of to not be in that like get that back and forth from his colleagues who are at the institute even if they don't necessarily work in the archives and to have no perspective from like somebody who's not entrenched in there not to go
1: back to i mean yes to go back to uh the, the statement giver themselves and the actual content of i think it's with what you were bringing up hal about your about your experience with you know walking around it's a sort of there is a difference between danger in an urban environment versus danger in a more rural environment. Uh, that's something to keep in context. Because it, it, you even said it like in a way, like your fear felt more of a supernatural, ghosty, I like Menderman,
0: that kind of thing. That's a character in the Magnus Archives, by the way.
1: There's a difference between that and that sort of fear of the abstract, of, of that sort of thing, versus uh, in urban areas it becomes a fear of the fellow individual, of someone else, like an actual person who might hurt you. But in that same way, in that same way, like the, the statement giver is offering out a, a kindness by the person is asking for something and they are taking the time out of their day to offer it. What is particularly interesting is is that what gives away the clues that something is not right is what makes the person not seem fully human. If I were in that situation, even if they did seem fully human, that would still be terrifying, even if there weren't those little tells.
0: Um, Charisse, what were the rest of your breaks?
2: Major one. He recorded everything he had to say about Martin and Gertrude. He actually recorded it. This is not a particularly great adage. You know like the old one is if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. I feel like the modern one updated for the 21st century should be if you don't have something nice to say, don't post it on social media. Don't record it in this case. You know, keep it to yourself because now people can go back and and listen to it.
0: To be fair, isn't this the equivalent of the burn book and, like the Mean Girls? Is John is a mean girl, <laughs> and John has written the equivalent of Gertrude is a skank ass bitch. Do not trust her in his little burn book because I'm not sure if he like actually does he doesn't he, he's doing this for future archivists. Mm-hmm. I love it when you do your mm-hmm because I can hear the violence in your little <laughs> vocal nod. <laughs> he's recording this about his previous boss. Like, he's recording this about his previous boss, and that doesn't seem very professional. Um, what were the other... I'll wait to get to my rates.
2: Oh, no, I think that's, that's the vast majority of it. I do have being mean to Gertrude and Martin, um, but, you know, how I feel about Martin
0: Um, the first one, the first thing Jonathan Sims did wrong in this episode was open his damn fucking mouth. Is his first problem. And then every single one of his problems after that, including after this episode, is that he has opened his mouth and made noises come out of it. His second one was being a misogynist and a bitch to Gertrude. Like, it's genuinely, completely unprofessional. I am objecting
1: to your rake being opening his damn fucking mouth, because first of all, you have to consider the fact that this is something new, uh, this audio way of archiving these statements. It is something that it is, first of all, it's creative as fuck, so that's cool that he's doing it, so congratulations. Because first of all, if he didn't open his damn fucking mouth, there would be no uh, freaking podcast. Okay,
0: first of all, let's point out the fact that John recording the statements is ridiculous and does not... Wh- what it, you just have a bunch of cassette tapes that are your archive and like that you can't search this and you can't search the contents of the tapes so like you just see a statement blah 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 cuz they're already on paper and second of all Jonathan Sims is ableist because if you're hard of hearing or have auditory sensory processing disorder you won't be able to understand it cuz you know that Jonathan Sims the character not the author Jonathan Sims is probably not transcribing this. Oh, absolutely not.
1: He's literally reading transcriptions. You understand that, right? He is reading these
0: statements. Why is he reading them? Why is Jonathan Sims fucking reading these statements? They already exist for the auditory form. It would make more sense to, if you couldn't
2: digitize them, like literally, and that's technically what an archivist is supposed to be doing, is just archiving the statements and making it so that you have a filing system that actually works if you want to reference something. We'll get to that one. Yeah we'll get to that but um literally it would make more sense to if you couldn't digitize something at least go through the statement put down a couple keywords you know write that in your your filing system actually physically file the documents and then keep I mean, it pushing okay
0: look the watsonian versus doylean explanation not that i'm defending jonathan sims is that like obviously he has to record them because otherwise there wouldn't be a fucking right <laughs> Wait, that post that's like an audiobook. It's like an audio book that's completely silent for eight hours. And then at the end of it, they're going, oh, wait, out loud? <laughs> that, it's just the entire Magnus archives. is just him quietly reading to himself.
2: If our argument is that opening his mouth was his first mistake, isn't that an sure, improvement?
0: You know as well as I do, and it doesn't. That if Jonathan Sims had (laughs) never opened his mouth, there would have never been a single problem. what? Okay, second of all, he's been working there for four years? But he's been working there for four years, and like, I don't understand, like, he seems- I don't want to say he's completely unqualified. Um, but he has been working there for four years, and the idea that he doesn't really know anybody there, and like, I feel like he had to have met Gertrude once. Granted, to be fair, Gertrude is canonically described as a stone-cold bitch, and I do- I'm not defending Jonathan Sims. Are you sure about that? I'll kill you. <laughs> i feel i think it's understandable that john met gertrude exactly <gasps> once and she made him cry yes! and this is why he hates her she said something stupid it well, was not stupid she said something correct she like she was like she made him kill a spider <laughs> She was, she was looking at her list of employees and she was like, which one am I going to fuck over today? And she was like, ooh, Jonathan Sims. Don't mind if I do. And she calls him into her office and she asks him to kill a spider for her because she knows how much it'll fuck with him. I I think I think
2: you're right. I think she did something that made him cry. And I think now that the reason he's being so mean to her on tape is because she can't say anything back to him about it.
0: Fifth or sixth rake. I'll just count this later. Um, John being like, there's this strange picture picture, probably nothing. I'll ignore this and pack it away and put it in a little jar and never open it until it literally kills me. Like they literally have photo proof. And what was his like reasoning for not believing this? He literally doesn't have a
2: rationale. He says it appears to be the same alleyway described in the statement that leads to Tron Square, but there doesn't seem to be anyone in the photograph.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm still stuck at him going L.O.L. <laughs> the way that Jonathan Sims, he just goes L.O.L. I think I could go the rest of my life without hearing John say that again. What is your opinion on the follow-up statement? First of all, photos can be doctored. Ah, I'm loving this already.
1: (laughs) And I'm not saying that, like, Sasha would would deliberately do this. I'm saying he's got a right to be semi-paranoid. About uh, uh, no, go uh on. the validity of certain evidence that's presented to him. I'm loving the implication,
2: it was Sasha the doctor the photo.
1: I'm not saying it was the okay, but also Sasha literally was the one who did the like the the, the filtering stuff to find that. So
0: I know I, I like the concept. I think I think that Sasha did nothing wrong. If Sasha had faked a picture just to fuck with John, you know what? Who's to say he doesn't deserve mm-hmm. it? That brings me back to my point of where uh first of all
1: he he does already approach this whole statement with an, with a layer of skepticism. So it under, It's understandable that even presented with this proof, which is not necessarily hundred percent proof, it's not like tangible evidence. It, it, it makes sense for him to have that sort of skeptical paranoid Okay,
0: so what is your opinions on him working at a place dedicated to the supernatural and not believing in the supernatural for the most part?
1: I mean, okay, listen. There's a difference between believing in the supernatural and um, believing any old story somebody tells you.
0: Jonathan Sims would love you. <laughs> Well, it's a good thing I love him. Oh right. Um, let me look through my fucking note. I'm stuck on an addendum, idiot. I don't remember typing that. <laughs> uh oh, that sounds a little uh, uh supernatural. Uh oh. From this point forward, there will be spoilers for up until the most recent TMA episode at the time of recording, which is episode 191. Please don't go past this point if you have not listened or caught up. I I wish that I had written a better note because I just have Gertrude her stuff. <laughs>
2: Well, um, first of all, can I just say, Oh boy. I've literally written this in my notebook here. Oh boy. Oh no. Oh Noah. Cause, um, he he said some things and he doesn't get what he's, he doesn't get the implications of what he's saying yet, but he's spot on. He just doesn't know it. While we were having our conversation, there were a couple of things that he said that were like really, really important and we'll come back later, um, about John and he just doesn't know it yet. And I kind of can't wait to get there now, but I have two. Actually, first of all, I mean, Three, technically, because I, I do have Marionette with a smiley face written down here. But I actually kind of wonder who the guy was that the anglerfish was using to lure people in. Because of what happens later on, I think with, with Sarah specifically in the future, like I wonder if this guy is actually a person or just an apparition.
0: I did not consider that, but I mean, I thought kind of both. It could be both. Obviously, Johnny isn't going to make it like explicitly clear. I do, I do wrote in all cap Sarah Baldwin. The way that he just says it like her name and the fact that now listening with retroactive knowledge of it i think that's interesting especially the fact that going back to the first episode which i do want to note um one of my notes is this is a really good episode good job like johnny sims like this is genuinely like a really this is probably one of the better pilots i've ever listened to anything ever it has like the hook it has the ambiance it's incredibly polished right off the bat it's genuinely good. It's just consider next time literally having any other fucking character. (laughs) Other than John. Um, Except for... (laughs) Except for John. Maybe like, uh, let's try his doppelganger next time. Sonny Jims. It's such a good episode. And referring to Sarah Baldwin in the first episode, even though, I mean, that comes in what, like... Season two? It's it's
2: not even just the reference to Sarah Baldwin. It's there's also a reference to like Sarah Baldwin's condition in that episode as well. Because like if you um pull up the transcript, it, it like he does make a point, or at least the statement giver does of making a point that it, it looks like his skin is sunken and, and like loose, which is exactly what we what, what Melanie reports seeing when you know Sarah is doing her thing in that hospital.
0: I I do have a small critique of the episode besides the, the fact that John Jonathan Sims is in it, is that I have several friends who needed a chart for the Magnus Archives when they started listening. Just because I do think, I think the callbacks, what is it called? A Chekhov's gun? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, Sarah Baldwin is a Chekhov's gun. I think that they're, well, we'll get to that later, but the Hill House, I'm hoping isn't a Chekhov's gun. And by the time that, we won't even be like halfway through by the time TMA ends. So I guess I'll find out or not. I think a small critique I have is, is that Johnny Sims has picked up a handful of guns and tossed them everywhere. And you're looking at all of these guns and trying to figure mm-hmm. out which one is loaded. Granted, going back to the beginning and hearing the very first episode and knowing what's to come and how it all ties together is an incredible feeling. <laughs> hearing Jonathan Sims speak like that for the <laughs> it's first not time. not so great. If I were Gertrude, I would have made John cry too. Johnny Sims, I gotta admit, you know how to make characters and I, by God do I have feelings about this one. Well, I think I would argue, I don't think that Johnny Sims is, like, portraying John in
2: a- Right, right. No, because he's 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 really from, like, the jump. Kind of off-putting. I, I realize that it's a, a facade, like, again no, knowing what I know because I'm, I'm near the end now and working backwards. Like, I know it's a facade because, again, he he kind of maybe feels unqualified and he kind of has feels like he has to, like, present this, you know, specific personality while he's at work. And then, of course, that all kind of falls apart when he, like, can no longer plausibly deny what's going on around him you pull
0: off his mask and underneath is a meaner bitchier person <laughs> yeah,
2: he just tones it down for work
0: and martin well not right now
2: <laughs> <laughs> not, i would argue this is toned down he's just he's he's you know bitchier in a new and and fun and i guess posh kind of way
0: since you're our resident martin simp <laughs> Yes, that's me. Since you're our resident Martin respecter, to be clear for the people listening to this, I don't like Martin Blackwood. I don't think he's a bad person. And
2: you and Alexander Newell will have to answer to me for that one day.
0: What? The fact that Alexander J. Newell is like, yeah, I hated Martin for like the first <laughs> four seasons. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Jonathan Sims also hated Martin for the first four seasons. Poor Charisse. Poor you. You have no one on your side. Not even the person who voiced really?
2: I have literally no one coming to Martin's defense but me. But you know what? It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. I love him and that's all
0: that matters. Is it? Yes, it is so knowing what you know from this week's recent episode what is your ideas about how it's going to go for dinner?
2: oh it's gonna go bad like i mean we've known that since the beginning but it's gonna go bad um and i was actually talking with with antonet and i don't know necessarily that this ties into anything that happens in this episode but my predictions are kind of uh, i'm gonna use the, the professional <laughs> expression i guess um is that John himself is a linchpin. Like, I know they're going after Elias and they're, you know, going to... Can you elaborate what you mean by linchpin? So he was kind of a focal point for everything that happened pre-changed. Elias fixated on him as like the person who he would have more but um I think it's because John was a focal point for everything that happened pre-change and also like the catalyst for the change itself happening Elias isn't the linchpin here like he's he's the person who orchestrated everything he's a person who benefits from it because he orchestrated everything because John was the actual catalyst for everything that happened prior to the change if anything happening to anybody is going to set everything right again and I don't believe it is. I I don't know that I believe it is because there's just so much to set right. But if anybody's going to be the one person who could possibly be affected and that changes everything, it's going to be John. It's going to be John.
0: I hate fucking making this metaphor, but like, I think that the end of the Magnus Archives is going to be labor is entitled to all it creates in the worst, most fucked up way.
2: I have my doubts about him getting anything because like, I really only want good things for Martin. I really only want good things for Martin, but I am pretty convinced Unfortunately, because he thinks Jonathan Sims is a good person.
0: When you say you want good things for Martin, does that include Jonathan Sims? Martin can find someone better. <laughs> I mean, I
2: I literally have they come across an avatar yet who saw Martin and didn't go, actually, that's boyfriend
0: material. Helen, but she's gay.
2: True. Well, and and Matt, because he's a, a homophobe.
0: Noah, I'm so sorry if you well, you probably won't hear this for a while because it is spoilers. Noah, I am so sorry. The- this show is half me and Charisse discussing meta and half. What fear is this? What are we feeding on here? The eye. It's literally the eye. Are we Elias in this situation? We're literally, we're picking <laughs> up Noah and we're putting him in a little hamster maze and we're just like looking at yeah. him and seeing what he's gonna do.
2: Not only are we making him do the maze, we're making him justify his every decision
0: in the maze. The foreshadowing in this episode about Gertrude. John's foreshadowing in this episode about Gertrude is really genuinely interesting and I really appreciate that by Johnny Sims talking about how the archives are in such a disarray and like how they're all fucked up and stuff. Also like here's the thing is that I think we're gonna see this as a pattern that's gonna be able to be more pick outable especially because Noah mentioned about the paranoia. John thinks he knows something about someone. He thinks he knows about Gertrude and he thinks he understands who Gertrude is and her motivations and why she did things. He thinks that she he never had a laptop there's literally in when he says there has never been a computer before in this office in this episode as John speaks there's the laptop underneath the floorboards and I think that's really really genuinely interesting John doesn't have any burgeoning eye powers yet but <sighs> God, I'm sorry I'm getting into it now. It's just the, and I don't think that Johnny intended it to be this way, but the meta narrative of John not being able to see what's hidden and John looking at the office in a disarray and the idea of the archives are a mess and complex versus John's later understanding of the spiral and other people. He's not able to see what's hidden and when he sees a mess, he sees what he wants to see, which is i would think he assumes that a mess and something he can't understand is ill will he assumes someone's motivations for something even when he literally has no information until he goes looking for it that he it's just i think that this is um i know it's a reach but i think it's a really interesting parallel um especially because doesn't john know at this point that gertrude like was killed in her office it's either
2: that they they know gertrude either went missing or she died i don't know think they know how
0: though john trusts his eyes too much and even in these original episodes like john is i
2: think actually to that point it's kind of interesting the distinction between the people he believes versus the people that he doesn't like there's people i I guess within the institute who he kind of like interprets as they know what's going on they understand what's going on even if i don't necessarily believe their interpretations like i will listen to them versus like the statement givers who he like outright from jump like and i realize his rationale for doing it but like from the jump he's sitting here and he's like picking apart their statements well this can't happen well this can't happen well there's evidence here that maybe possibly could be interpreted to, you know prove that this aspect of the statement is true but even if that's the case it doesn't necessarily prove that all of it is true like he trusts Elias he trusts Sasha he trusts Tim to an extent he trusts Martin no no not really but
0: I think that for a character whose entire like aspect has to do with the eye and knowledge and secrets and information and knowing he is so very averse to knowing things. Or alternatively, he knows these things, but he won't understand Mm -hmm. them. And it's only until much later after the fact that he starts to go looking for the truth. And I think it's interesting how in the beginning, John is like he thinks something and he believes it. And it's like the comparison between Helen and the floorboards. John intentionally goes after the truth after some time. Like he is seeking to Find out what's really going on. And then there is a certain point after which he decides that he is no longer interested in finding out what's going on. And I, John, Jonathan, who hurt you besides me in the very near future?
2: That honestly could be a holdover from his like personal history because like it, it kind of ties into like the concept that, oh, okay, well, Martin, who's doing these things for me, is like a person who I can't trust versus somebody who's like very clearly suspicious is, you know, the opposite, somebody that I can. Because, like, he he doesn't, like, trust, I guess, genuine care. Oh, wait, actually, um, the idea that there's strings attached.
0: You know, I'm thinking about how John still has that stupid fucking liner. He just accepts it. He just keeps the fucking lighter. And a lot of people really like Webb Martin, by the way. What are your thoughts on Web Martin? Um, I think it's a reach. I think it's a reach. Oh, those are strong words. <laughs>
2: I, I think he has obviously demonstrated, like, the capacity to be somebody who, like, I, I guess comes up with a plan and executes a plan, and he's, he's shown to be sneaky and underhanded. Because I don't, I don't necessarily think, like, a manifestation of the web has to be something nefarious. Like, I don't think it has to be something that's, like, decidedly evil or
0: bad or anything like that. But Martin like, Blackwood couldn't manipulate his way out of a wet paper.
2: <laughs> Martin is a nicer guy. <laughs> no,
0: he's not. That's, hold on. I don't think Martin is cool enough to be a (laughs) briska. I don't think that Martin has what it. Because when have we seen Martin? Okay, fine. besides the whole stupid lonely arc when have we and that's not even that bad when
2: have yeah cause I mean Peter saw what he wanted to see and it, because he was so invested in not being around people even if, as he was like needing to be around Martin who probably missed a but lot I don't
0: think that Martin really has I don't think that when I think of Gertrude the of the <laughs> archives and Martin I don't see Martin as a character who's willing to do evil things for the reasons that he think is right granted um, that will probably come to bite me in the ass in the end when Martin becomes a person and does some bullshit mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. like when he started talking like in that conversation with himself about possibly needing to kill John
0: I would like to go on record and say that Martin too is hot <laughs>
2: martin was always hot what? no not martin. martin martin too. martin martin 2 there is no distinction here for me they are always yes, hot yes there is
0: oh are are you gonna say that there's not a difference between and i can't believe i'm saying this on my stupid meta podcast about <laughs> tma the momstuck archives. listen oh are you saying that there's no difference between jerk and hell?
2: I just like the question that you posed to me very, very much.
0: Martin 2 is hot. Martin 1 is not. Just like how redacted is hot and redacted is not hot. We are not discussing which <laughs> one is
2: drinking. That's is okay. Straight. I already know. I, I'm i hearing what you're saying. I'm hearing what you're saying to me, and it's just, it's not getting through. I'm John here. How are you gonna say-
0: I was about to fucking say. I was literally about to say, you're just fucking, you're just Johnnying it up. You're letting, you're letting your, stupid martin B- loving brain get in <laughs> the, the way analysis. of the fact <laughs> yes look at it critically and the critical analysis completely without any to. sarcasm whatsoever is that martin blackwood is a bad character i just refuse to actually i can't say that i can't <laughs> say that because like that's no- John is right there. (laughs) I don't think that Martin Blackwood sucks. I think that he's an incredibly boring character at first, and I do not understand his drive. I don't know what you see in that man. It's just good. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, He's... This is about John, not... This is about John, not Martin. We just... (laughs) Martin Sims must... Oh! (laughs) Oh! Yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> you got it right, yeah. Oh, you think that Martin would take Jonathan Sims last name? I minute? think
2: he would think it's a completely romantic idea, so 100%. That's
0: because he's a <laughs> fucking simp. <laughs> it's, I'm surrounded by fucking simps. Well, okay, look, I can agree with you. We can agree to disagree on Martin if we can both agree that... Helen Oh, 100%. Better. That's
2: not even an argument.
0: It really isn't. And anybody who likes to say otherwise simply just doesn't have ears and is reading a completely different podcast.
2: Helen- Just just keep saying jawning using it as a verb. Helen
0: Richardson and Gertrude Robinson did nothing wrong. I want to get that out there.
2: I mean, okay, all right. Gertrude did a couple of things wrong. Name one. She dismembered a guy and threw him into a pit and we're not 100% certain if the guy was alive or dead when she did it.
0: Well- I love my post that's like, me going, Gertrude um, said, did nothing wrong. And they were like, she killed Monster Pig. And then the response is, okay, she did one thing wrong.
2: <laughs> well, that, there you go. There's number two. She killed Monster Pig. I, uh, actually, did Jerry kill Monster Pig? I think Jerry helped kill Monster Pig, but Gertrude gave the order.
0: Look, I like Jerry, but sometimes those people who like Jerry make me want to not like Jerry. I have
2: horrible news for you.
0: I like Jerry as a concept. I don't like what they've done to Jerry, which is they've woobified him. I see. Okay. Oh, but you know, my opinion is also that you can't woobify Martin because Martin's already wooed. <laughs> he is. Look, Alexander J. Newell, <laughs> Jonathan Sims woobified Martin. <laughs> <laughs> like from the get go. You know, hempification? Yeah. <laughs> That's the opposite of what happens to Martin Blackwood. He gets unwoobified when he starts being actually relevant to the story. <laughs> I am a little mad, despite my feelings on Martin, I am a little mad about how John is just such a fucking bitch to Martin. <gasps> for no reason. For what? for what reason i mean that i could just go back and just dub over literally any name in that sentence john is a bitch to blank and for what reason and it would just be true for every single i don't wonder he's so
2: fucking mean it's true for literally everybody
0: well georgie does he disrespect georgie
2: well i mean also there's like the the 100 possibility that georgie still knows how to make like of the of the two women in his life who he you know is, is you know somewhat or was at some point somewhat respectful to she's one of the only people who left who knows how to make him cry ah that well her and melanie because you know allegedly melanie made everybody in the archives cry at you some know point
0: what? absolute fucking queen behavior yeah oh, okay let me re. let me redact my statement there is not a single woman in the entire magnus archives who has done something wrong correct Well, not Sasha was racist. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. Okay, that's fair.
0: But was not Sasha really a woman? She was a woman asterisk. She's a, she's a, she was woman fishing. She was Sasha fishing.
2: (laughs) Oh, actually, um, one other thing before we we move on. Um, I also wanted to like kind of circle back to the imagery in the statement. Like I realize that this is a stranger statement. I get that this is a stranger statement. But um, I really like the mention of something like uh, the, the long, thin hand at waist height. It's not a Chekhov's gun. It's not, you know, something that comes back layer as as opposed to Sarah Baldwin necessarily. But I really like the description of the imagery and how relevant a long, thin hand becomes for like... much everything mid season forward. Do
0: you want to elaborate
2: on that? Um, it's it's literally just a description of the imagery because it, it's it. I, again, I don't think it references the distortion. I don't think it references you know Michael or Helen specifically. I just really like that one of the first statements he ever read. Actually, the first statement he ever read had that imagery specifically, and then we see a repetition of that imagery in a different way later on, and it becomes extremely relevant to everything that happens. Yeah.
0: Wasn't there an episode where there was like a writer? Oh, I remember. um And I wonder if Noel will ask this eventually. I remember listening to Magnus Archives, and for a long time, I was like, "Why can not every fucking statement giver write like they're an English major?" <laughs> I was like, "How are these people so damn coherent? What the fuck?" And then, like, what is it? um The episode where John isn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, he's like, "I walked in and I saw a ghost." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "What about the ghost?" They're like, "Just it was a ghost. Don't know what to tell you." I actually. And I'll bring this up later. I'm just saying it so I can remember. I think it's interesting how... Did John have his eye powers after Melanie got her bullet shot by a ghost bullet? Mm. I want to remember to point this out if we get there. Is Melanie was the first person to catch on to the fact that John is appearing in her nightmare dreams. Oh. She's the first one because specifically, and I'll have to go back and look at it. It's because John is wearing a shirt and that day he wears the same shirt in her nightmare dream. And she is the first person person to catch on to the fact that he's showing up in her trauma dreams and her response to him asking her and people asking her about Her ghost bullet by being short and to the point, which is got shot. And they're like, what? And like, got shot in India. And they're like, what? And like, you know, got shot in India by a ghost. And that's all she says is like genuinely interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, the narrative comparison of trying to sever that connection that the eye and the eye's power has over her versus what happens later. Yeah. Johnny, I'm so sorry that I think your horror podcast is the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, can you imagine being a normal archivist employee in the break room (laughs) sipping some coffee or whatever, and Melanie comes in there and sits down, and you're like, hey. And she's like, hey like you turn around and you're like making your coffee or whatever and then you see her stab her fucking (laughs) eyes
2: i like i like the concept of her having like the all in her hand when she comes into the break room and just sitting it down on the table and staring at it for a few minutes (laughs)
0: like like they're hurriedly stirring their coffee as fast as they can so they can get the (laughs) fuck out (laughs) Like, I don't want any. (sighs) Well, okay. On the same note. An all? A fucking. Do you know what an all looks like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna look this up again because it still drives me fucking insane that she chose that. That of all things. That of all things. That of all fucking things. And also the fact that she had to stab herself in the eye and then stab herself in the other eye. <laughs> I would have just gotten two. And you know that this this fake mm-hmm. archivist employee that we made up in the break knows that like has overheard like Melanie trying to kill Elias. And they see Melanie enter the room. Mm-hmm. And they hurry out of there because they don't want any fucking part of this entire thing. God, she really just did that with an awe. Oh.
2: Mm-hmm. And then, like a week later, they hear she's in the hospital.
0: Well, was, I mean, I think they would put you in the hospital if you stabbed both your eyes out, you know? And all. I do think it's so incredibly funny that um, she's like, Can you call the ambulance for me in five minutes? And Judge just lets her fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> he just lets her leave. Like, he doesn't think for one singular second to use his stupid little archivist powers to find out a non stabbing your eyes out way to do this. He just lets. Her. I mean, Melanie had a way
2: and she kept, or he kept stopping her. Did he? Did she? Yeah, her method was murder.
1: John writes, You're absolutely correct. People care a lot about his health.
0: Theater can I, on, needs a
1: hug and a nap.
0: Hello, Hal here. I'm sorry for that abrupt ending to the episode. As it turns out, none of us recorded our final statements on the discussion of MAG-1 Anglerfish, so though it does not exist. Like other things in this episode, I'm adding this post-production, so instead I would like to thank anyone who has made it this far. I've never actually taken on a project like this before, so I would consider this a good first try. On that note, again I would like to stress that any comment about Jonathan Sims is targeted at the character and not the real-life person, unless otherwise specified. Um, A good portion of our show is what I would consider ironic. However, if you want to ask me how ironic that is, the answer is yes. Jonathan Sims Must Die is a derivative, non-canonical, fan-made project derived from the Magnus Archives, an original podcast which is created and distributed by Rusty Quill. Jonathan Sims Must Die is not endorsed by Rusty Quill and is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's episode discussed was written and performed by Jonathan Sims, was produced and directed by Alexander J. Newell. Today's episode was discussed by Dirk Strider, Noah Ortega, and Sharice Williams. It was produced, directed, and edited by Dirk Strider. Our theme song, Short King Archivist, was written, performed, and recorded by Bastard Hour, a.k.a. Elliot Lee.